0: Uh, Our Father and our Lord, we do thank you once again. You truly are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the mighty God. Um, And there is no God besides you in heaven above nor on earth below. And Lord, we just ask that this time, uh, we would focus solely on you, uh, who you are, on your son. And we do thank you for your your holy word, uh, that it's alive, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, uh, breaking, piercing bone and marrow, soul and spirit and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And you know the needs of everybody here. You know the needs of those who are watching and listening and will listen on later. But essentially, Lord, the answer to every problem is the Lord Jesus Christ. The answer to every complication, the answer to every consideration is just you, Lord. And we just want more of you. We wanna sit at your feet tonight, Lord. Uh, May I step aside. May I just be uh, clay in the hands of the potter. But I do pray, Lord, you would take your words and put it on my mouth. Uh, that I would speak all the words that lead to everlasting life. Lord, we uh, pray for all those who are hurting in the body, all those who are struggling financially, uh, emotionally, those in bereavement. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you use our, our arms, our words, our feet, Lord, to draw near to them, Lord, to comfort them, um, Lord, and to draw near to you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your grace. Um, and we pray that your will be done in our hearts um, as it is in heaven. In Jesus' holy name we pray and the saint said... Amen. Open up your Bibles. You will need that. The B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. If you don't have one, I think there's some in the back, but I think you guys know by now we go through the Bible. Amen. <laughs> you go through the Bible. An unknown God can either be served, worship, or trusted, and we get to know the Lord through the study of his word. So if you guys don't have outlines, they're also back there as well. Uh, last week, I, I didn't think I'd be up here again, so I was like, if I get up here again, I'll finish, and then I'm up here again. So we'll finish John chapter 9 today. Uh, so let's let's get to it. I'll give a quick uh, background the best I can to catch us up to where we'll be. So the Gospel of John written by the Apostle John, uh, one of the, the inner, three inner circle of the Lord Jesus. It was usually Peter, James, and John um, that Jesus was really, really close to. And so we know that John knew Jesus really, really well. Um, he was with Jesus in some of the most intimate moments, such as the Garden of Gethsemane, such as uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, Um, So he was really, really close to the Lord Jesus. And John's main aim in in this gospel, he told us in in the 20th chapter, he said, I've written these things that you may believe and that believing you may have life in his name. And he's showing that Jesus Christ is the invisible God made visible. He is God in the flesh. He starts off the first chapter with, in the beginning uh, was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And the same was in the beginning with God. And then he fast forward to verse 14. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, all throughout this gospel, we see all these miracles that literally point to Jesus Christ as being Jehovah God. All the things that were done in the Old Testament, we see all those miracles pointing to those "I am" statements back in the Old Testament, who Jehovah God said, "That is my name." Um, when Moses said, "Who do I say sent me?" They're not going to believe me. So you just tell them, "I am that I am sent you," which simply means I've always existed. I'm the everlasting God. From everlasting into everlasting, I am God, which was in the Old Testament. And so as we go through this, we see um, uh, he did many miracles, and it focuses on several of those. And at this point, you know, Jesus has already turned the water to wine. Uh, he has already fed the 5,000 two times, which ended up being, I think, like 20,000 if you add women and children, but I'm not a mathematician. Um, and then he's already healed the, the lame man by the pool of Besida. And there's been much division because of what Jesus has brought to the table. Um, Because of the religious leaders who were doing nothing but annoying people, Jesus was coming and transforming lives. And that's what he still does today. And the same issue can happen is when we try to have religion and Jesus, they don't go good together. Amen? See, religion keeps us in bondage and Jesus liberates us, right? And so now we get into John chapter 9, and I tell the message, A Man Called Jesus, because I see all throughout here is the simplicity that's in the gospel. The simplicity is a lot of times we think, uh, I have to know all the theological framework to be able to share my faith. I need to go to school and seminary, which none of those things are wrong. I need to do this, I need to do that. And you still should study to find yourself approved, right, unto God. But a lot of times we think that because we don't know it all, we can't share what we do know, right? And we see this account, and I love it so simple, that a man who was born blind who never met Jesus, never saw Jesus, but Jesus literally touched him and all he can say was a man called Jesus, this is what he did for me. A man called Jesus, this is what he did for me. And I joked and I challenged you guys last week and I pointed out that this, man, this blind man shared Jesus with more people in nine minutes than some of us have shared in a lifetime, sadly, right? Some of us even shared in five, 10 years, he shared Jesus with people more than we have, right? It's kind of convicting and it should be. But the encouragement is, is you don't, just because you don't know it all, you don't trade in what you, don't, what you do know for what you don't know, right? Because I don't know it, I'm not sharing anything. But I love the fact that he just constantly says, a man called Jesus, a man called Jesus, a man called Jesus. And this is who impacted all of us as well. So just a few uh, recap before we get into where the verses were we last time. The point one, uh, from light to darkness, literally what we see is this man born blind and a, and. I told you guys last time, imagine some of us who aren't working on being blind yet um, haven't struggled with that yet, but imagine never seeing God's glory in creation. I love the ocean. I love going to the ocean. I love looking at the waves. I love seeing all of God's framework, which testifies of His glory, the Bible says. I love seeing facial expressions on people, on my children. I love seeing, I love smell. I love all that stuff. But imagine being born and never seeing any of that at all, being in total darkness. Because this is what that blind man had experienced up until that time. And it's also a picture of how you and I are spiritually before God, Jesus Christ, touches us and opens up our eyes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we go from life to darkness, and our lives are transformed from blindness to sight, from death to life. You guys have heard the scripture before. If you haven't, 2 Corinthians 5:17. It says, All that are in Christ are new creations. Old things have passed away. Behold, All things have become new. Saints, when we come to the Lord and He touches us, we're new creations. We have new affections. We have new desires. There's no way that the true and living God comes down from above and makes His dwelling in us and we don't change. There's no way. It just doesn't happen. And I I gave the example last time is there a difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly? Is there a difference between a tadpole and a frog? And one of my favorites is there a difference between a Corvette and Megatron, right? There's a difference. (laughs) You know, this is who you are before Christ. And then this is who you are with Christ. And what happened in the middle is Christ, amen? And that still should continue to happen in our lives today. And I just love how the blind man is just so simple. A man called Jesus, I don't have all the answers. And it's not even about what happened to me, but it's really about who happened to me. And that's for every single one of us. Then we see that this suffering, wasn't because he sinned. Back then, there was a, a, a belief. Several schools of thought that, oh, if someone is blind or if someone uh, has some type of disease or leprosy, oh, they were doing some type of sin. Their fault had to be, or else God wouldn't have done that. Or some even believe that they can sin in the womb. Uh, kind of going back to uh, Jacob and Esau, right? They're wrestling in the womb, so they can sin in the womb. Or someone goes far and say, well, it's your parents' fault. They did some type of sin, so that's why you, are, you have some type, this type of disease, Right? But it's not always the case. And in fact, you can't sit in the womb, but you're born to sinner. but you don't sin in the womb. So we throw that school of thought out. But the disciples actually looked at this blind man as an object of theological discussion instead of an object of mercy. And we can do that sometimes when we're walking in religion and not walking in relationship, amen? And so we look at this blind man and we see that Jesus said, no, none of those things are true. Actually, it's because the glory of God that the works of God will be revealed through him. And so I had in your outline, it's our story, but it's for his glory. Amen. Bible says none of, none of us live to ourselves, but we all live to him. Paul says, I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And the son of God who died and gave himself for me. So it's our story for his glory. And then also we see that as soon as he was, you know, he went from a blind beggar, you know, it's all he was good for at that point. And all of a sudden, everybody noticed something was different. A notable miracle had taken place, and everybody was like, what, what happened? How did that, is this the guy? It kind of looks like him, but I'm not sure. He's, he can see. He looks like the blagger, but he, but he has sight, so it can't be him. Others like, it has to be him. And he says, yeah, I'm he. That's me. That's me, right? Because others are going to know that Jesus has touched your life, or they should. And if they're not, you need to come out the closet, right? You need to be bold for the faith, Amen. You need to get filled with the spirit of the living God and don't be ashamed of the gospel. You know, I look at Paul when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That means some people were, or there'd be no need to make that statement, right? But you and I should adopt that too, is that we should not be ashamed of the gospel because it truly is the power of God into salvation for all who believe, right? And so I, I like the point, I've heard it before and you guys have heard it before, but Christianity is more caught than taught. People will more so watch your actions than listen to your words. Now, you still should preach the gospel, right? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word, but also live it too, amen? Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go and when they grow old, they shall not depart. Make sure you're going that way too, amen? Be an example in your home, all right? So that leads us to here where um, we'll be in verse, I think, 24. But at this point, the religious leaders are are launching an investigation. And I I looked at it as like the first 48 investigation on what happened, how, how did this happen? How did this happen to you? And they're constantly going around trying to get the testimony and the blind man gives his testimony, a man called Jesus, a man called Jesus. Then they say, okay, that's not good enough. So then they go to his parents. Was he born blind? What happened? His testimony is not good for us. Tell us what we want to hear per se. And the parents say, look, yeah, he was born blind and this is our son, but who did it? We don't know because they were afraid. Because it says in the text that many, if anyone confess Christ, they will be tossed out of the synagogue. They'd be unsynagogued, or excommunicated, ostracized, right? All of their re- religious uh, life would have been totally vanished away. And a lot of times our religion is our identity. Oh, and they didn't want that to happen. But for us, Christ is our identity and no one can take that from us, amen? But imagine, I love, I love being in the fellowship. I'm encouraged every time I'm here. I'm honored to be up here. And one of the hardest times for me is when I caught COVID. It's I couldn't come to church, and it was hard. I almost thought about just posting up in the back in a van just to be, feel the warmth of the fellowship. Watching on TV wasn't enough. Love you guys, you know, but it's just, let's be real, not the same. This is not, right? And, but it was so hard for me. And I could imagine someone threatening me with, hey, if you continue to do that, you won't be able to be in the fellowship. You won't be able to teach the youth. You won't be able to be around the people that you love so much. I can understand how difficult that could be. But the thing about religion is, it doesn't travel with you, but the Holy Spirit does. Amen. You can only take religion to a building in certain places, right? And it can be a part of you, but the Holy Spirit goes with us wherever we go. So I hope that would never be any of us that would fear what would happen to us if we continue to proclaim the name of Jesus. Amen. So on the outline, counting the cost, point two, you'll be mocked and persecuted, which is exactly what's happening in the text. So let's go to uh, verse 24, I believe. In the text, it says, Sorry, let me get on my watch. So I have my little phone right here. All right, cool. The Texas it says, it says, so they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. So back in uh, verse 23, the parents had admitted that's my son, admitted he was born blind, but we don't know who did. They backed up on that point because they didn't want to mention Jesus' name because they didn't want their whole religion to be thrown out, of the, out in the woodworks, Right. So they fear before man. I said last time, you guys know, in Proverbs it says the fear of man brings a snare and God hasn't given us a spirit of fear but a power of love and a sound mind. But what happens is when you operate in fear in any element of your life, you're gonna be disobedient to God because you can't walk in faith. Those two things can't be co-inhabitants, right? And it's okay to have that feeling of fear but the Bible tells us over and over, do not fear, but what do you do with the fear? So if I come into a fear moment, I need to cast it upon the Lord, right? Cast your burdens upon me for I care for you, right? So we want to learn from that not to be fearful, but to be faithful in what God has called us to do. So as the parents, they opt out and say, we're not going to confess Christ because we love our religion. Um, And so we're going to kind of put it back on our son. And what great parents are they? Their son's a beggar. They're clearly not taking care of them, right? Um, and he's blind. So they're not really the best of parents per se. Don't follow that example with them. But they come to him and they called him again. And this is after, mind you, they've already asked him several times what happened, what happened. And he keeps telling them, a man called Jesus. I don't, I, I didn't see him because I'm blind, right? He spit on the ground, hawked a huge loogie because in order to make clay, let's be pretty real, it was, it had to be like a spit wad to be able to make clay enough to put on his eyes. It had to be a lot. Right, I would have opted out, probably, and said, "Yeah, I'll wait till you say the word next time." Right? We can imagine what they were thinking. So he's already done that on the Sabbath. That's already happened. But the blind man never saw Jesus. Right? He didn't even know what he looked like. He just had a basic, childlike faith that this man called Jesus touched me and my life changed. Changed. The simplicity. And so they kept asking him, "Who? How? 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 How?" Then we went to the parents. Parents did give him what they wanted. Now they come. Back to the blind man. Almost like you saw your parents backed up. Now you better tell us what we want to hear. Give this man, give God the glory. This man's a sinner is what they say. So this is now the third time they inquire about what happened. They're not getting the answers they want. And that's typically what happens for those of you who have seen the first 48 or, or interrogations. That's usually what they do. They keep pressing you so they, until they get the answer they want. They want you to fold under pressure and just say, I don't want to, I'm lying, so just here's the truth, right? But you guys know the truth is consistent, right? It stands the test of time. You can pound the truth. You can throw the truth. Like I was telling my brother Craig earlier, I said, the truth is like a boomerang. You can throw it as far as you want. It always comes back around, amen? And so they're trying to berate him to make him say something different, and it's not happening. How hard does your heart have to be for a notable miracle, somebody who was born blind, and you don't rejoice, you don't worship, you don't even think twice, you know what? Maybe this person is from God. You know what? Maybe God is working, maybe this is the Savior, right? But right away, this man broke the Sabbath, religion. He broke the Sabbath, he can't be from God because he's breaking our interpretation and our man-made rules. That's what he's doing. And I said it last week, as much as you think you're following the Lord or you think you know the word of God or you think you're walking with God, if at some point in time, your belief has you mistreating people and not loving people, then there's something wrong. It's not the gospel. It's not Christ. I look back at first Corinthians 13, where Paul issues that huge rebuke. And he says, you can speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love You're yours clashing brass and clanging cymbals. You can have the faith to move mountains, right? You can give your body to be burned as a martyr. But if you have not love, it's nothing, right? It means nothing. And so what happens when when we get religious, right, and dogmatic, it causes us to mistreat people and to be unkind. And that's not the way. And that's what religion does. And it ends up putting everybody back into bondage. When Jesus, when Paul said in Galatians 5, he says, for freedom, we have set you free, to be free, in Christ. Amen? So we look at, they refuse to rejoice that God has done this great miracle, yet they want to find a way to take the glory from the true and living God and give it to the God they've created in their own minds. See, the Pharisees, although they knew the word of God, as you guys heard it said before, they didn't know the God of the word. And although they knew what we call hymns, like H-Y-M, they didn't really know him, the H-I-M. And here's how we know that. Over and over, we look in uh, Gospels. Jesus says, they're going to do this to you because they do not know me. You look back in Exodus of Pharaoh when they said, the Lord Yahweh sent me. They said, I don't know the Lord God. I don't know him. So I'm not letting these people go. See, when we know the Lord, we treat the Lord's people differently. When we know the Lord, we treat people differently. So they say, you know what? Give, this, give God the glory We know this man is a sinner. Verse 25, it says, and he answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know that once I was blind and now I see. Sound like a song, right? You guys remember that song, Amazing Grace? Got it straight from the scriptures. And this is such a wonderful answer in regards to sharing our testimony. Again, I don't need to know all the theological framework and I love theology. I love talking about the Lord, right? Right? But essentially, your testimony, nobody can refute that. You can't tell me what Jesus has done for me because you, you are not in my body. You did not go through what I went through. And so he gives a simple testimony. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. And I think that's a good um, a way for us when we share our, our faith, as you should be sharing your faith. But a good way is, is look at when we don't know something, Stick to what you do know, right? Don't try to, well, I kind of know. When people ask me certain, hey, I don't know about that, but here's what I do know, right? And here's what he says. He gives a simple testimony. I once was blind, and now I see. And that's sufficient, right? Because that's truly what happened. That is, again, our testimony. All of us in here should be ready, willing, and able to share that, hey, before I met this man, Jesus, and he's more than a man. We'll see later in the text, it goes from man to prophet to God, and he worships in spirit and truth, right? As he grows in grace and knowledge. But we should all be able to share, before I met Jesus, this is who I was. Every single one of us was self-reliant. Every single one of us was proclaiming our own goodness. Every single one of us was not seeking the things of Christ, but our own, every single one of us, all right? And then we met Jesus. And our life should have dramatically changed. And we should be able to share that with boldness, confidence, and courage. Now, flip side, don't be rude. Gospel's offensive enough. Doesn't need your help, okay? It's a stone of offense, right? Doesn't need you adding to it, okay? Just give it as it is. Let the Holy Spirit do the work, all right? He's already done that on the cross. But we should be ready, just like the blind man. I once was blind and now I see. Then, verse 26, he says, Then they said unto him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? So again, it's not sufficient because it's not what they wanted to hear. And they continue to interrogate him. And I love his response in verse 27. He answered them, I told you already. And you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? I know what it is. You want to become his disciples? I know you do. (laughs) I love it because here's the thing. So even though the blind man, again, hasn't met Jesus, hasn't seen him, right? But just think about it. He already knows, He must be well-versed in the Word, sitting by the synagogue, hearing the Word preached every Sabbath day, right? He already knows that before the foundation of the earth, there's never been anyone who was who born blind that has been healed. He knows that already, right? And he also has the inkling that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. And if I keep telling you about Jesus, you're going to become his disciple, right? And so I love, I love the fact he gives a very simple answer. Doesn't have all the theological framework. And he lets them know, you guys keep pestering me over and over about what happened. And my answer is not going to change. Because like I tell you guys, every time I'm up here, the truth doesn't change. And it has no shelf life. It remains the same. And so he tells them very clearly, look, I've already told you there's nothing more I can tell you. But here's the bottom line. The man called Jesus did this to me, right? That's what he's done. And the truth continues to remain the same. So as they continue their intimidation technique, they try to get him to alter his testimony or get more information on Jesus to try to condemn him because they don't like he healed on the Sabbath. They didn't heal ever, right? They don't like he's doing good. They've done good never, right? And so they see this big contrast that Jesus is ruining their gig, right? He's actually ripping apart the bondage of religion, you guys remember religion, the original word was reconnect or relink. It was a great word, right? Great purpose. But it's been used now to tear apart and bring people to bondage. I like to tell people there's two E's to religion. There's expose and enslave. What does it do is expose your inability to keep every rule and regulation because nobody could do it. And then it enslaves you to your effort to try to continue to do it even when you know you can't, right? Because for us, if I could at least do 9 out of 10, 8 out of 10, It's 80%. I'm doing pretty good, right? Right? But the truth is, is that he requires perfection, right? The standard is the Lord Jesus Christ. The standard is way up here, not a little bit better than my neighbor. I like to tell people, look, the bottom line, the measuring stick is not according to my neighbor, but according to the Savior. Amen? And so we always want to look to Christ, not to my neighbor, not to a regulation, but to the perfect standard of Christ. So saints, even now the enemy is trying to destroy any Christian testimony by tagging evil to it so they can say they're a sinner. And that's what they're trying to do with Jesus right now. He's a sinner. You can't give credit to him. He, he's not a real, if he was a real savior, he would never do those things on the Sabbath day, right? And you guys know, Jesus never broke any law. He never did anything outside of God's law. He was the embodiment of the law of God. And so we see Jesus acting perfectly, but against their religious tradition. But the enemy wants to continue to do that. Let me give you guys some examples. Ten, what the enemy tends to do is wait until a, a great man of God who's been used by God falls and then says, oh, that's the representation for the Christian faith, right? Let me give you an example, Robbie Zacharias, heartbreaking, right? God used him mightily. You know, God will use people in spite of themselves, used him mightily. But when he fell, a lot of people kind of just stepped away. I don't want to be a Christian anymore. He had a big impact on my life. Turned out to be a sexual predator, right? And so what the enemy would do is say, well, that guy represented your faith. Why do we want to be like that? But you guys do know you have free will, right? And the things that he did was contrary to scripture. And that's why, although God can use people to minister to us, we don't look to man for our example and who we follow. You want an example to follow? A man called Jesus, amen? That's a person you could follow. And if someone's following Christ, as long as you're doing that, I'm right there with you, right? Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Not follow me as I do what I do, right? But follow me as I follow Christ. So saints, we must also keep our eyes on Christ and not allow the enemy to try to take away our testimony. See, people who hate Jesus are indeed obsessed with trying to tear his name down. They don't want Jesus to rule over them. They spend their lives trying to avoid having to deal with Jesus. And again, the cross of Christ is a stone of offense. When Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, you guys remember, they wanted to kill Lazarus again. You know why? Because Lazarus' life from the dead was a testimony of who Jesus was. Again, not that a notable miracle had been done. Not that somebody was risen from the dead, but that you're ruining my religion, so I got to get rid of every evidence that proves anything otherwise, right? Again, this is the peril of religion, the peril of the religious leaders. Verse 28 in the text. Then it says, they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he is from. Saints, grace doesn't come through Moses. The law came through Moses, actually. So grace comes through Jesus Christ. You guys can't be saved apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 4 and 12, where it says there is salvation in no other name under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. And as long as you're under Moses, you'll never be under Christ. Amen? You can't have both Moses, Abraham, David, and Jesus, Right? And so what it is, they're saying, we have our forefather. Because Moses was a mighty man of God, and he was used by God. Bible says he's the meekest man in all the Bible, right? He was used by God, but salvation doesn't come through him. And so what they're doing is they're using their forefathers to say, hey, they were, he was a mighty man of God, and because we're connected to him, we have a sure end to heaven. We have a sure end to be right before God. And guess what? We can fall in that too. Well, I meet a lot of people. As soon as they find I'm a pastor, oh, my great-grandfather, Oh man, I can fuck a line of preachers. True. What about you though? Where are you at? The Bible says to them who received him, to them he gave them power to become children of God. To those who believe on his name, God doesn't have any distant cousins, family, right? Doesn't have any grandchildren, nieces or nephews. It's only adopted children, or you're a child of Satan. Pick one. Amen. And so they're they're banking on their religious heritage to be able to be right with God, and then they try to revile. This man, the thing is though, if they truly followed Moses, they would surrender their lives to Jesus, to God in the flesh as Moses did. John 5, 46 for you note takers. If you really believed Moses, he says, you would believe me because Moses wrote about me. He says, I must fulfill Luke 24, I believe. All that is written to me in the law, the prophets and the Psalms. See, when we look through scripture, All of it is a roadmap to Christ. We look in the Old Testament, it says that he's coming. We look in the Gospels, he says he's arrived. We look in Acts, he's proclaimed. In the epistles, he's explained. In Revelation, coming back. And that's where we are, he's coming back. And I hope everybody here is ready. The word reviled, it means to mock, insult, disgrace. It's the opposite of praise. The religious leaders shamed him you are his disciple and he's a sinner and he's a blasphemer and he violates the law, you follow Judas, you're Judas' disciple. That's like what that's saying, essentially, right? It's unfortunate, but here's the thing. Have any of you guys in here ever been mocked for your faith? Don't raise your hand, just think about it, right? You know, the Bible says that all who live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. You know, the scriptures tell us that when we stand forth for our faith, marvel not if they hate you, if the world hates you because they hated me first. And if anyone who was in Christ, he says, no servant is greater than his master. And if they mocked and reviled me, what do you think they're going to do to you? Right? And so we shouldn't be surprised when cats meow and dogs bark, right? You don't see people getting upset. Why are you, why are you barking? Why are you meowing? Well, that's what cats do and that's what dogs do, right? And so non-believers, again, they hate the light. I love John 3, like right after one of the famous Bible verses, I would hope you guys all know John three sixteen. Several so verses later, he says, This is the condemnation that actually light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Well, saints, you guys are the light. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You've been dispatched, right? You've been sent out to be light in a very, very dark place. Well, dark, darkness hates light, and that's where the religious, the religious leaders are right now. I've been mocked for my faith a bunch of times, I can't even count. Sometimes I was wasn't the kindest person. So sometimes that's on me, charges to the cross, right? Amen. But I remember times when, I, uh, when I'll be at work and I work with teenagers, so they love they to have their jokes and stuff, right? But I remember one of them was like, you love Jesus so much? Is that your boyfriend, right? Do you have a picture on your desk of him? And, and they would make little jokes like that. Ha, ah, ha, real funny, right? Real funny, right? But the bottom line is, is all throughout scripture, here's the question. Do you know him, right? Do you know him and does he know you? And so you can mock me all that you want. You can say whatever you want to say about me. But at the end of the day, when you stand before Almighty God, and you will, the question will remain, do you know him and does he know you? Because here's the bottom line. There's going to be two books that are open, Revelation says. And there's going to be the Lamb's book of life, where all those who were chosen before the foundation of the earth are. And there's going to be another book that's going to be unto eternal judgment, where I would say the Lord does not want you to be in, he died to prove it. In fact, he didn't even create hell for us. He created it for the devil and his angels. But because he's a just God, you got to go somewhere if you reject him, right? He doesn't rejoice in the destruction of the wicked, right? He wills that all shall come to the knowledge of the truth. But there's a bottom line here where everybody, I'm saying this because we pass by people every day. We come across people every day, right? And essentially that is the eternal soul that's going to spend eternity one of two places. And our job as believers is to shine light and plant the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what have we done with our opportunities, saints? How many times have we seen someone walking didn't say a word? I'm guilty. I'm guilty. The exhortation here today is to confess Christ before man. He says, if you confess me before man, I'll confess you before my father. But if you deny me before man, I will deny you before my father and the holy angels. We need to be faithful to confess Christ before man on your outline. Those who take notes, Matthew 5, 10 through 11, says, blessed are you when, they, when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. Can't be a people pleaser. In fact, I'm a little concerned if everybody has nothing but nice things to say about you, right? Probably a brown noser, right? <laughs> Probably telling people whatever they wanna hear. And by the way, that's lying too, Amen. If you just tell people whatever they want to hear, even though it's not true, and you know that, there's kind ways to say mean things. Does that make sense? (laughs) Truthful things, right? We need to be faithful in that. Luke 6 26 for you note takers. It says, Woe unto you when all people speak well of you, for so they did the fathers, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Verse 29. He says, We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he's from. All the Jews knew Moses was a great man of God. They knew God spoke to Moses. However, just like the Jews of old, they only knew God through Moses and not for themselves. Jesus told them in John 8 that he came from his father, that he was from above and that they were from beneath. Yet they still are in unbelief when I say 2 Corinthians 3, it says that, that they, as long as they are under Moses, they have a veil over their eyes. And until they come to Christ, that veil won't be removed. Because we have to understand the law was a taskmaster to tutor, to lead us to faith in Christ. And once we come there, we're no longer under the tutor, right? And so they still have the veil over their eyes. And this is why they are speaking like that. They're blinded to who Jesus is as long as they're in Pride, I like to call it pride because it's idolatry of self. It's people who study meology instead of theology, right? It's all about me, 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 me. Me, 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 me. And none of us in here struggle with that at all. Nobody, right? Okay. I didn't want to be the only one, right? Verse 30, the man answered him and said, why, (laughs) I can imagine him laughing right now. Why, this is a marvelous thing that you don't know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. (laughs) You guys thought you knew everything and you don't know this. Cuz here's what happens. Nobody knows everything. And nobody has perfect theology. In fact, knowledge in itself puffs up. 1 Corinthians 8 said. But it's love that builds up. And so as long as you get puffed up in all this knowledge and you're floating around in all this theological knowledge and that's good and you know all these things, right? But if you don't know Christ, none of that knowledge can save you. Amen. And so what we have in the Pharisees is a bunch of intellectual fools, wise idiots, and smart dummies. Does that make sense? Is It doesn't matter how much information you have if you have no wisdom. And the fear of God is the foundation and beginning of wisdom. And so he tells them, that's funny. You, you, you don't know who he is? You, you don't know where he's from? That's wow, unbelievable. And so I love it here because, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking too. I would be laughing at this point. And I don't know if he was laughing. I don't know if he was kind of like, ha. ha. I thought you got to do the whole Torah, right? You stand at the street with your philanthropies and you quote scripture and you pray long prayers for pretense. You sit, you take the best seats in the synagogues, right? You do all these things. You offer all this money, just chang, 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 and a little thing. Like you guys give all the money, but you don't know who this man is, and you don't know where he's from. And he's been doing miracles for about three years now? Where have you been? Have you been hiding in your, in, your, in your temple, in your philanthropy, quoting the Old Testament and not understanding it? Is that where you've been this whole time? Imagine that's probably what he's thinking. And he's like, you don't know where he is, but this man has opened my eyes. Wow. And so going forward, the blind man, I, I think it's sarcasm, but he's a blind man, uses sarcasm. And he essentially says, you're the leader's. And this man has done a marvelous work and you don't know where he's from. Verse 31. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. The Old Testament shows us that God appeals to faith all throughout the Old Testament. It's It's the same standard, faith. God appeals to faith. Abraham, David, Noah, all the patriarchs, all appeal by faith. And he doesn't hear the prayers of the wicked, when he says a worshiper, it's one who reverence God, a friend of God, like Abraham, one who is no longer an enemy of God. We as believers have confidence that God hears us when we pray. In fact, in First John, it says this is the confidence, that anything we ask in his name, according to his will, he will give us because we know him, because we've transferred out of relationship to relationship." We're no longer blind, but now we see. And that's why God hears us. And so he makes the notion that, well, if he was a sinner like you're saying, then why would God use him like this? If he's a sinner in the way you're saying he is, if he violates God's law, then why would God use him in such a mighty way? And the thing is, these are just common sense answers, right? He's using all these miracles. He's healing all these people. And in fact, their testimony early on the gospel, it says all the people are going to him and he's changing their lives. These people are liberated. So if he was what you said he was, then you're saying that God's going to co-sign on that. The God you're speaking of, you truly don't know him. And that's the problem today. Close friend of mine, actually a quarterback. I knew him since I was little. We're in uh, Little League Baseball, All-Stars. And then he was my high school quarterback, my junior college quarterback, and my quarterback in the university. He was visiting, and he's very, very angry with God right now because his mom went through cancer, and he saw that whole process, and I get it's a painful process, and so when I saw him, and we started talking, and I told him, I said, hey, man, like, where are you at with the Lord? What's going on? I'm mad at God right now. I'll come when I'm ready, and I said, well, <clears throat> why are you mad at him? Because the way my mom suffered, you know, at the end of the day, and I told him, well, you know, you know God didn't create the world this way, right? You know, it some Gravely wrong with the world. God didn't create it that way, right? No, no, because God was there, then, then she wouldn't have suffered like that, right? And I simply told him, I said, look, God did it. God does not create suffering. He allows it, and he uses it for his purpose and his glory. Well, the truth of the matter is, you're mad at a God that you've created in your own heart. You're not even mad at the true living God. The God you're mad at, you created. Because the same God that you're saying you're mad at, when I gave you the, the truthful response from Scripture, that it wasn't God's fault that your mom went through what she went through, you're still mad at him. And so it's something deeper than that. And so we got into more of a theological discussion. And so when I debunked all of his things, you say, yeah, bro, I just don't want to come. Shocker, right? And that's the bottom line with the truth. It cuts and it goes deep and down to the bone and the marrow and it gets to the bottom line is he didn't want to let go of his sinful life. He didn't want to let go of all the hurt and pain. Yet Jesus says this, Come to me. All of you are heavy laden and weary and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But the question is, will you come? Amen. And so I'm praying for him. You guys pray for him too. But we have confidence that God hears us when we talk to him. Verse 32. Since the world began, it's unheard that anyone has opened the eyes of one who was born blind. Like I said, a blind man knows his history. He knows his stuff. All throughout the Old Testament, you see people who had become blind or people who had leprosy or whatever the case may be, but no one who was born that way and then healed in the, all the Old Testament. And so he says, hey, look, through the Old Testament, through all the history of the scriptures, nobody who's been born this way has ever been healed before. Pointing again to the, the reality and the deity of who Jesus truly is. These signs go to show the evidence of the deity and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we can't see how God is working things out, or when we feel down and confused, we can call upon the Lord who opens the eyes of the blind and does what no man can do. I love how the fact that he's a student of the word, even though he was blind. You see, because if you're not blind, if you're blind, you can still hear the word, right? You still have other aspects. And that should be an encouragement for us that we need to be students of the word of God. The Bible says that we need to study to find ourselves approved unto God. Workmen needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, while he didn't know a lot about who Jesus was, he sure knew a lot about the scriptures. And even in that, he sure wasn't ashamed to give his testimony over and over and over to the point of exhaustion and annoyance at some point, right? And so I wanna encourage you guys, we need to be the same way, verses 33 and 34. If this man were not from God, he can do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in your sins and you're teaching us. And they cast him out. So this is like one of those little, you know, little play school arguments that kids have in a playground. My dad's bigger than your dad. Well, no, oh yeah, well my dad was Mr. Olympia. Oh man, be quiet. You didn't even have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich today. Get out of the playground. This is something like that. They have no answer. And so what they do is they start to mock and ridicule him and point to, okay, well, I don't want to talk about Jesus anymore. So what about you? You're a sinner, right? I'm done talking about Jesus, right? Because he defended the faith very well and left them ashamed, left them ashamed. And so they now go and get upset. John the Baptist said this, a man can receive nothing unless it be given to him from the father. The blind man confirms that this man, Jesus, who who he has not seen yet, he is from God, and he's confident. The blind man boldly confirms who Jesus is. You can imagine religious leaders are furious right now. They're used to people bowing down to them. They're used to people um, not knowing what they're talking about, not knowing how to defend the scriptures, and then bowing out and say, "Okay, you know more than I do. I give up." Right? And sometimes we can be like that too, where someone may know a little bit more than we do. You know? And I'll be honest, the the the, the false religion of the world. I've come across Jehovah's Witness and Mormons sharp in their lives. Sharp. They know so much about their life more than we know about the truth. And they're confident in it and they're sharp in delivering it. But it's a it's a stack of cards at the end of the day. But what happened, it can be a little bit intimidating when they know what they're talking about and they keep giving it over and over and over. But for us, the exhortation is the gospel simple. That Jesus Christ came to seek and save that which is lost. That we were all born in sin, we're all sinners, and apart from Christ, we're gonna die sinners right? And so we don't need to know all the theological framework again, but simply repeating that Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, pointing again to the identity of Jesus. And without him, we can do nothing. John 15, five for your note takers. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? And Jesus made it very clear. Everything I do, I do it for my father. I get it from him continue to confess Christ before man. In verse 34, the Pharisees have no response to the blind man's testimony. They're angered, enraged, and respond in what I call a loser mentality. You're born blind because of your sin, and now you're teaching us? Get out of here. And because they can't prove him wrong, they kick him out of the synagogue. And remember, that was a very big thing. And even for the blind man, although he hasn't really enjoyed the amenities of being part of the, the religious thing, he was sitting by the temple. And so he was hearing the word. And so there was a lot at stake here. We must walk by faith and not by fear in your outline. And now that he's kicked out, we have to, we have to look to ourselves and say this, are we looking to please man? Or are we looking to please God? That's a question we all must ask ourselves. If you don't know when it comes time that your faith is tested, You'll find out. How do we respond, right? Because they are blind to the truth by holding on to tradition, they now accept the truth as hate and cast it out of the presence. Excommunicated. Saints following Jesus comes with a price, right? There's a reason why Jesus says, if any man follow me, must pick up his cross, deny himself, and follow after me. If any man loves mother, father, son, daughter, or even his own life more than me, he's not worthy of me. And some of you say, that's harsh. How can we just, the bottom line is, is he needs full allegiance, okay? He's not telling you to mistreat your family members. He's simply saying, don't put them before me. They shouldn't come before me. You know, the greatest commandment, love the Lord thy God, all their heart, all thy mind, all their soul, all thy strength. We're supposed to love the Lord with all of our being because sometimes our family members won't. And they'll want to lead us in another direction. And so the blind man is now going to pay a price for his faithfulness. Jesus said all of us who live godly will suffer persecution. We need to stand fold, be bold and courageous. For heaven is our home and that's where our rewards are. Amen. So summation of point number two, counting the cost. We'll be mocked and persecuted for our faith. We need to confess Christ before men. We need to walk by faith and not by fear like his parents. And we need to be willing to lose all to gain Christ. And I love Paul's statement. He says, those things that were gained to me, I counted them as lost. Paul gave his, you know, Paul was a, was a, a Pharisee scholar, part of the Sanhedrin. He's like, if anyone has any reason to boast in the flesh, I more than anybody. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, right? Concerning righteousness, I was a Pharisee. I was blameless according to the law. But he said, all of this, I counted as his dung that I may know Christ. We can't have all those things and then have Christ too. But following Christ comes with a point. Point number three, last point. Now responding to the call. Verse 34. I think I read 34 already, didn't I? Reverse by verse, right? You guys follow along? Yeah, I'll follow that. So verse 35. Jesus heard that they cast him out And when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? So they cast him out. They excommunicated him. His whole life is completely going to change, right? And I love the fact that it says right here, when Jesus had heard about it, that he found him. Saints, this is the heart of the gospel. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost that he didn't come to destroy our lives, as many people would like to say, because he, they say he brings rules and all that. And he, oh, I can't go drink and I can't go do that, which was tearing your life up anyway. But anyway, um, I can't do all these things anymore. So all Jesus does, he brings bondage, right? But the scriptures is antithetical to that idea. It says he's come to bring us freedom. Whom the son says free is free indeed. He's come to seek us out, right? We look at the, the, um, the prodigal son, right? Where he saw him from a distance and went and ran after him and met him, right? The idea here that Jesus went and sought him out and found him, that he had been cast out. And he found him, and here's what he said. Do you believe in the Son of God? Do you believe? Do you believe in the Son of God? Do you place your trust in him, he's asking? See, if one was cast out, they lose their temple rights, severed family relationships. Their lives would be impacted negatively, culturally, and emotionally emotionally their entire lives would be changed forever. The most important question, do you believe? John 3:36 says this for you note takers. He who believes has everlasting life, but he who not believe, does not believe, is condemned for he has not believed on his only begotten son. Jesus came and he asked them the question. See Jesus come 2 Corinthians 7:6 says he comes to comfort the downcast. Luke 15 says he leaves the 99 to find the one. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, He wills that none shall perish. We see Jesus constantly seeking and pursuing the woman at the well, the man by the pool beside her, the disciples. Essentially, saints said there's two types of people. Those who in this life say, Lord, thy will be done. And then those in the life to come who the Lord says to them, thy will be done. And it all depends on how you answer that question do you believe in the Son of God? 1 Timothy 1.9 says, Christ came into the world to save sinners in which I am chief. My quarterback buddy told me, he said, I'll come to church when I'm ready. And I said, that's about like getting clean before you take the shower. Saints, we don't come to Christ when we're righteous. We don't come to the Lord when we feel we're ready. But in fact, he says he did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that's why the first step of the gospel is you all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because if you do not realize you're sick, you're not going to the doctor. And that's why the law, which is why I love the law, I don't live by it, but why I love it is because essentially it backs you into a corner and has you crying and looking up for mercy. Because anyone who's tried to keep the 10 commandments, even for an hour, you failed, guarantee you. And if you thought that you did good, you're prideful and you fell there, right? Because it's impossible. It's the perfect character of God. But we see that Jesus come to seek and save. And that idea, I want to encourage you guys, a lot of people are pulling this, I'll come when I'm ready, or I'll go tomorrow, or I'll go to church next week, right? You may not have next week. You may not have tomorrow. And when you guys are talking, your family members are unsaved, and you guys are out in the community, and God gives you divine appointments, and you think, oh, I'll talk to him next time when I see him. It's appointed for a man to die once and afterwards is the judgment. And time and chance happens to us all. We need to be, urged. there needs to be some urgency for the gospel. We need to, at every moment that we have, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He loves us, he died for us. Don't leave, take another step without him. It's not our job to make them believe, but it is our job to preach the gospel, amen? The spirit will essentially do the work. Essentially, saints, I think this is a picture of every single one of us. We've been cast out, stripped of our acceptance, isolated, publicly mocked and shamed, like the woman at the well. We stand condemned. And like Adam and Eve, we've all tried to cover ourselves with our own efforts and righteous works. But like the Lord did Adam and Eve, He went and He got animal skins, and He covered them with a blameless, perfect, spotless lamb, I believe, as scripture reveals. Because as John the Baptist saw the Lord Jesus, he pointed and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But God intervened. When we say believe, that word believe, it's not just one of those things. Yeah, I believe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. But the word actually means to be persuaded of. Place your confidence in. Be assured of this. Jesus asked if he knows and has placed his trust in the Son of God foundation of salvation is believe on the Lord and be saved. Today we're asking, what can I do and still be saved, right? How far can I go before, you know, before I'm cast out? But the question that was asked constantly over in the early church and acts, what must I do to be saved? Not what, not what I can continue to do and still be saved. I come across many people who claim to be Christian but they struggle to say Jesus is God. Many cults will say, Jesus, 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 right? But a lot of them won't say that Jesus is God. They'll say, oh yeah, he's the son of God. Or he's a little bit this, he's a little bit that. If you don't confess Jesus as God and savior, then that's not the Jesus of the Bible, right? And even though this blind man, he hasn't got the full yet. And we're gonna see he, he, he's, work, he's getting there as he's growing. Essentially, Jesus has come as God in the flesh, I'm not going to go on the Trinity thing, right? I'm not going to go down a theological rabbit hole, right? One God, three members, pray about it. You'll find out in heaven how it works, right? But my encounter with my neighbor, who's a Jehovah's Witness, and he's, you know, he comes to me, and I, I was gracious with him. And I kind of know some of their tricks, so there's certain scriptures I just don't go to because I don't want to go on all that. But what I kind of stand on is Philippians too, And so I remember he came one day, and I opened it up, and I said, hey, man, I just, you know, who do you say Jesus is? Oh, he's a son of God, but he's not Jehovah. Okay, can can you go to a scripture really quick for me? Sure. I, I, I have my Bible, but I decided to have my Bible on me. Can we do it in your Bible? Cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, they got their little Jehovah winning Bible. I want to see I want to see in that one. So we go open up to that one. Then first I took him to an old testament scripture, because I knew it was going to bear witness to the New Testament scripture. So I took him to Isaiah 45, 23, where it says, As unto me, every knee will bow and every tongue shall swear. Take oath, right? And I said, Who is that? Who's he talking about? Oh, that's Jehovah. He's happy. That's Jehovah right there. I believe that too. Amen. Let's go to Philippians 2. Really quick, Philippians two. Uh, I think let's start at verse five, maybe. I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure where it is. I mean, it could be there. I'm not sure. I knew where it was. Uh, <laughs> so I took him there, and he started to read. And once he got to, thought it not equal. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and took upon him uh, the uh, took upon no reputation. I took upon the form of a servant and became obedient even to the point of death. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess. And he, oh, and literally started turning pages like, I said, isn't that the same scripture we saw in Isaiah 45? His wife was across the street. Ran over there. So I ran with him because I, I ran right there with him. And he literally said, hey, Hey, babe, how, how do you like, how do you show that Jesus is not God? Like, how do you, how do you do that right there? And I say, hey, can you, before he, before he tells you what he tells you, can you go to Philippians 2 as well? And she did the same thing. And they saw, and she did, the, and she did the same thing. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is that? What, what? Oh, no, no, no. It says that every knee should bow. It doesn't mean every knee will bow. Right? Right there in the middle of truth, blinded, like the blind man. Couldn't see. But this is the epitome again of blindness, spiritual blindness. A lot of people don't want to believe. All who call upon me, he says, will come to saving faith. Verse 36, and he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe on him? Remember, he never saw Jesus, didn't know who he was, just knew that he'd been touched by Jesus and his life was never the same. He can now see So he asserts here that he did not know who Jesus was, yet he is searching for the Son of God, for the intention of trusting in him. Now, when he says Lord, this doesn't mean lordship salvation yet. It's just a terminology that was used as kind of for masters and those who are are in authority. Um, Many people seek to know Jesus for several reasons. The blind man's intention is clear, that I may believe in him. And that's why like, I I titled the message of man called Jesus, but it can't stay a man called Jesus. Amen, It starts with a little bit of knowledge, a childlike faith, but that little seed you say it's, it's one of the greatest in all the, all the, the, the plant kingdom, is that it starts like a little seed, and there's the biggest plant, right? Because that's how faith starts. And so there's a little seed planet, and now he's saying, "My intention is to believe in him." And it says, "Look, come to church, I really don't care why you come. Come to church, come to Jesus, right? But eventually, if it isn't to know him personally as Lord and Savior, it's all vanity. It's all grasping for the wind. Still come though. I want you to come. Praise the Lord. Because we know the word of God does not return back void. Verse 37. And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Reminds me of the woman at the well. where she's, you know, why are you here? Started with very very simple knowledge, didn't know who he was, right? Then when he revealed her life, oh, you must be a prophet. You're not just a regular guy. You you know about my past, you must be a prophet, right? And then he says, gives her the water, right? And she says, well, I want this water, so I don't got to keep coming to this well. And said, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask and I would give you living water. And you saw then it went from, you're just a Jew, shouldn't be here with a Samaritan. Then you're a prophet, then it says she went back to Samaria and told everyone, I found the savior of the world. And she preached the gospel to all of them. And then a lot of them got saved. And this reminds her of that same thing, that progression. Jesus reveals himself very plainly stating, I am the Lord and whom you are seeking to believe on. You've now seen me. Isn't that peculiar? You haven't seen anybody before. And now you see the true and living savior. This is ironic the blind man just received his sight. Before he could not see Jesus or anyone for that matter, it was Jesus who opened up his eyes for the purpose that the blind man may see who Jesus is. He didn't just visually see Jesus or physically, but he was now able to spiritually perceive who he was. And that is the reality of our salvation. Jesus says, no man comes to the, fa- no man comes to the son unless the father draws him. Right, We're spiritually dead. We're not coming unless he nudges us. That's why faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. He says, from his own will, he begot us by the word of truth. In James 1, I believe. The Bible also says that only God receives worship. If Jesus wasn't God, he would say, get up. What are you doing? Right? But very clearly, he receives worship because he is Jehovah God in the flesh. This word worship, it means to prostrate oneself, Kind of as a dog licking its master's hand, an act of realization of being of one being inferior to its, his master and bowing in reverence. Look at this increasing awareness. 9:11, Jesus is just a man. John 9:17, Jesus is a prophet. John 9:27, Jesus is my master. I am his disciple. John 9:33, Jesus is from God. John 9, 35, 38, Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is who I trust. And then now Jesus is who I worship. Saints, where are we at? I pray and hope that we're at the worship stage. I pray and hope that we wake up and we delight in the word of God. I pray and hope that we look at spending time with him and sitting at his feet and we're not too busy like Martha, right? Because what can happen is if we neglect our personal devotion, We can end up like Martha, busy but not blessed, right? I want to be busy and blessed, amen? Because what happens is we get too busy either serving the Lord or just doing our daily tasks, working, being a wife or a father or a husband or all those things, right? And then you neglect spending time at Jesus' feet, which is the most precious thing we can ever do. You're literally practicing for heaven when we worship. We're practicing for being in his presence. And I would tell you this, if you haven't spent much time in his presence, you won't be much of a blessing in anyone else's. Amen? And ask yourself are you a blessing because you spend time in His presence, or are you a burden because you neglect being in His presence? You don't have to answer me. that between you and the Lord. Amen? Worship is not an act, but a lifestyle of obedience to the Lord. How do our lives reflect our worship to the Lord? Do we seek to obey Him, honor Him, please Him, bring Him glory, or are we ashamed of the gospel? Pray for boldness, saints. Let's be bold for the gospel. On your outline, respond to the call, worship, trust, obedience. He gives grace to the humble. Saints, pray for your lives to reflect more the Lord. Again, caught more than taught. People see and know you go to church. People know you guys pray, right? But do they see that reflecting in your life now? Because at the end of the day, We want to be light in a dark place. We want to be effective for the kingdom of God. I truly, truly long to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. It rings over and over and over. I want to be faithful to that, and I pray you do as well. Let's finish up. Verse 39. And Jesus said, we're at 39, right? You guys follow along? Amen. Go, go, go. Amen. He worshiped. Good. And then Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Some of you who read your scripture say, no, 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 no. He came to save. Correct that. That's a contradiction in the scriptures. You need to to answer to that now. Okay, hold on. We know Jesus said the scripture can be broken. So there's no contradictions. So what it is, is primarily Jesus' main role was not to condemn. We know that. We know his main role was not to judge people into condemnation. We know his main role of the first coming, right? He was going to come meek and lowly on a donkey. He was going to be the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, right? He was going to, the chastisement that was put on us, chastisement for our peace was put on him and by his stripes we were healed, right? That's the primary, the essential, right? But the second coming, for all those who don't receive the suffering servant, for all those who continue to rely on self, there's judgment, And it won't be a donkey, it'll be a white horse, all right? And it won't be for peace, it'll be to make war. It'll be righteous judgment at the right time for those who have rejected him. So he's not talking about the primary purpose of his coming. But saints, here's the thing, this is part of the gospel. For those who reject the only exit, right? Building on fire, one exit. You reject that only exit, you burn in the building. Not because he wants you, just because you refuse to go through the exit. Jesus is the door, okay? John 10, he's the door. He's the only way in and out, okay? If you reject the door, you deal with the calamity of this world. What's going on? It's all going to burn, right? You deal with that. So he says, for judgment i come into this world that those who do not see, the blind man, and those who see, the Pharisees, may be made blind. Amen? Back in John 3.17, Jesus says that he did not come to condemn but save the Lord is so gracious towards us, willing that none shall perish, yet righteous judge has to deal with the crime. The word judgment, no, it's not a curse word, okay? Many people, they hear judgment, oh, don't judge. I don't wanna be judgmental. Now, I work with at risk youth. We do a bunch of meetings, like with social workers and therapists, and you have to be careful with your words, and that word wasn't very affirming, right? Don't judge. If you said that was wrong, that's judgment. Saints, it's not judgment if we're simply saying what the judge meant, right? We're simply, the judgment is simply declaring right from wrong, good from evil, darkness from light. When you go outside and you say the sun is shining, you're judging, okay? You're judging. It's okay. I constantly have to tell people, look, listen, judgment's okay, right? Depending on your measurement, your standard. Are you judging by the scriptures or are you judging by your opinion? And so judgment is fine. It's part of the gospel, right? It's making a declaration. You all came in here and you saw me and you stayed. That's a judgment, okay? <laughs> you could all say, uh, about face, right? Again, two weeks in a row? I don't know about that, right? But you made a judgment. You said, okay, I'm going to stay for whatever reason. Praise God. But you made a judgment. And so judgment is not wrong only when it's done hypocritically or, in, or unto condemnation, which Matthew 7 tells us. So he's, he makes a judgment, which is to prove righteous, righteousness and condemn the wicked. Remember, Jesus Christ is the standard of all righteousness. He is the bar. Judgment is not according to your neighbor, but according to the Savior, like I said earlier. And we must remember, until we realize our need for deliverance, we'll never seek a deliverer. And then when he says, those who do not see, speaking of the blind man who was not able to see physically, which pointed to his spiritual blindness, that he may see spiritually and place his trust in the Lord. Example, Apostle Paul. I love that example, right? He was a religious zealot and he thought he was serving God and doing, and doing God a service. And then I just love how just God just knocked him off his high horse. Jesus knocked him off his high horse and he blinded him. That was awesome. And then when he was able to see, it said he got baptized and immediately he went to the Damascus synagogues and preached Christ from the Old Testament. Immediately, right? Because his eyes were truly opened, Who see may be made blind. Those who understand may be made spiritually blind. And we see in the scriptures, seeing they will not see and hearing they will not hear. For these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And I was talking about the religious, the Pharisees. And so, an example I heard I thought was wonderful there was actually a coal mining accident in Indiana years ago. And some of the people, all the darkness came in the coal mine, they couldn't see anything. And when the rescuers came, a lot of the men rejoice, praise God. Oh man, we all, oh, wow, you guys are coming to see. And then some of them said, wait, turn the lights on, turn the lights on, turn them on. Why couldn't they see? They have been made blind from the accident. And so what happens is all of us are in darkness, right? Only those who are blind can't see when the light shows up. And so Jesus shows up as the epitome of light. He shows up as the light of the world. And the people who are blind do not see him. They reject him. All the false religions reject him. Light has showed up. They rejected him. And they continue to do that. We do have free will. And those continue to go on blind continue to abide in blindness and darkness. But again, Saints, we are the light of the world, and we need to proclaim him. First Corinthians 1 12 for note takers. The natural man does not understand the things of God, for they are spiritually appraised. When Pastor Doug starts talking about like all the video, audio, video, and all that stuff, he's speaking a different language. I don't get it. I don't understand it, not even a little bit. And so those who are in darkness and blind, when we start speaking spiritual things, the Bible says it's foolishness to them, right? Nor did they understand them. But it's not our job to make people do that. That's the Spirit's job. It's our job to plant and one waters and the Lord gives increase. So we need to be wise master builders, amen? So your outline, pride, self-righteousness, and traditions, blind one from responding to Jesus, and we'll finish up the last, last verses because this is the condition of the Pharisees. Then some of the Pharisees who were blind heard him, these wo- heard him say these words and said to him, are we blind also? Jesus said, well, if you were blind, you'd have no sin. Like the blind man who was cleansed, right? But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. And so he says, he ends the chapter with that. If you were blind, you would you would have no sin, but now he says your sin remains. So Jesus responds that if you recognize, right, that you were a sinner. If you recognize that you were relying on your, yourself, if you recognize that, you would be you would be made to see, right? You would be blinded from that. You would be cleansed, because we're talking about spiritually here. But he says because you reject the fact that you're a sinner and you're relying on your religionship and not seeking a relationship. He says you're going to remain in your sins and you're going to remain in blindness. And this saint should grieve all of our hearts because essentially the message that can free them from that is the gospel. And guess who has it? This little light of mine. I can't sing. I'm gonna let it shine. And every single one of us should be letting our light shine. Seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. It starts with us confessing our sin. As Psalm 95 says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Amen. So before I end, I want to give anybody an opportunity here and let you know what the scripture says. It says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That time and chance happens to us all and that the soul that sins will die. But all throughout the scriptures, it says, but God, who is rich in mercy in which he loved us, made us alive in Christ Jesus and by grace we have been saved. And he says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved if you have not confessed Christ as Lord, either you're watching or you're watching later, or anyone here—if you have not confessed Christ before Lord—I want to give you an opportunity to do that now. If you can't do it in here but with a bunch of believers, you're not going to do it out there in a wicked, dark world. He says, "If you confess me before man, I will confess you before my Father. But if you deny me before man, I will deny you before my Father and the holy angels." Is there anyone in here now? I want to pray for you. Anybody in here? Anybody that'll watch later? Your opportunity. Tomorrow's not promised. Our life is but a vapor. Amen? Let's bow our heads. The worst team, you guys, come on up. Father in heaven, we graciously thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your kindness towards us. And that you demonstrated your love towards us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, I thank you for this example in John chapter 9 of this blind man who didn't know much about you, but he knew that you had touched his life. And he was bold to proclaim a man called Jesus to anyone who would ask him. And then as he grew, it went from Jesus to prophet, to, to, to God, to worship. And Lord, it's convicting because we let people pass by us all the time. And we don't even share the best news ever that you've come to seek and save that which is lost. That, Lord, we were once blind and now we see. We were once dead and now we're alive. Is that I was once relying on myself and I was once wallowing in my sin. But God has been the testimony of my life. And Lord, we want to be bold And so we pray for that boldness now, that your Holy Spirit will fill us, your Holy Spirit will send us, that our cup runs over, and that you would lead us down paths of righteousness for your namesake. For anyone who profess you as Lord, I pray that they would continue walking, that they would grow in the grace and knowledge and add to their faith, virtue, self-control, perseverance, and that they would not be lacking, they will be fruitful and abiding in the vine. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' holy name we pray and the saint said... Amen, Amen. let's stand up and worship.